after last week, I knew that um, it was time to... Okay, here we go into Romans 14. Tuesday hit... No, not going into Romans 14. We're going to stay in Romans 13 here for one more Sunday. And I believe it's very important. Um, I sensed that it was uh, something that... We, we just touched on last week. We kind of rode over it. And, and you know how you kind of skip right across something. Um, I want to come back to it at the end of chapter 13. And um, so um, we want to look at verse 13 and 14 here one more time. And then we'll pick up and get going to chapter 14. Um, I've entitled this, uh, and it's similar to last week, but it's a bit different in its approach. And the title is Living in Light of the Lord's Return. Living in Light of the Lord's Return. And if you want to, follow along in the outline provided in your bulletin. And um, I want to get started with talking a little bit about this as a backdrop and giving you an illustration. And the illustration is um, regarding our son, Sam. Um, Sam made a choice in uh, moving from uh, Petaluma, California to Palmdale, California before the wedding this past August. And I don't want to make a big deal about it, but it serves as an illustration for the message here, and I want to share it with you. And it was kind of like out of the blue um, that he chose to move. But... uh, Trust me in this, to, to shorten this, this story up, he, he chose to move on the surface to get a job. There's a job down there that was more, uh, hopefully, you know, m- more of a consistent kind of a thing. And he moved down there, but later on we found out there's a little other motive in doing that. And part of it was regarding he and his fiancée, Kimberly. And he chose to move down there, you know, to get the job, to get going, and to, you know, raise up some savings and such. But he also moved in as a demonstration of his love for his bride-to-be. And that's just just one little illustration. Um, There's all sorts of others that apply to this. You know, I can remember when I got engaged to be married to Noreen. I can remember that. And it, 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 it's like you say, well, I'm going I'm, to... I'm geared up for this. I'm, I'm focused on this. This is here we go kind of thing. And that's what the picture is with Romans 13. Because the day is dawning. It's not just coming. The day is dawning. The time is near. And thus, here's, you know, here's like our son making this choice to show here's this determined love and this committed love and other, other stories like it. But here's the spiritual side of it. Here's the, the, the essence of this regarding the Lord's return. He came once as a little infant. He's coming again as Lord of Lord, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And by golly, friend, are you ready? 
Are you ready? Is that something that you're demonstrating in your behavior? Well, here's this passage that Paul gives us as a warning. And we need to understand, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus Christ. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ. Because now he has paid the ransom for you. And thus you are no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Right? That's the essence of what we're now in in Romans 13. And we need to understand that. And he gives us, um, Paul gives us the contrast. He says in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13, look at it. He says, you know, we've got to lay aside the deeds of darkness, verse 12, and put on the armor of light. And then he details it more He's, he, by saying, so let us behave properly as in the day. What day of his coming? Let us behave properly. And the word behave is simply, you can see it maybe in your, in your reference there. It's walk. It's one step after another. Pretty simple. Walk. Here's one step, another step. Here's repetition. You don't, you know, think, oh, I'm getting bored of walking. No, you just do it. Yeah? And so it is, let us behave properly in regards to spiritual things. And here's what he gives us. And this is the basis of our outline. He gives us these three pairs of vices. He gives us three pairs of dangers to be staying away from. And it's interesting because the dangers that he gives us are viewed as pleasures in this world. They're pleasures. And Paul is saying, let us behave properly, verse 13, as in the day, not, we'll keep reading now, follow along, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. And so we have these three examples of activities of darkness. They're examples of activities of darkness that the Christian is to stay away from. And a lot of times we read it and we've kind of got um, uh, boundaries on what we're reading here. We look at it and we think, oh, well, I don't do this. And I, therefore, I'm fine. But we've got to understand that <laughs> there are the things that kind of start relating in our day and in our age. And we've got to be on the alert. And so we start with number one. The first of these three pairs of vices that really these cause poisoning in the Christian life. They cause a damage to your testimony. It tramples the testimony of Jesus Christ in the dirt. And you have to recognize them and deal with them. Okay? So that's what we want to do. So we want to hit this first one. Number one, intoxicating pleasures. Intoxicating pleasures. Letter A is the first one of this pair. Carousing. Okay? Carousing. 
basically all this is talking about is how a festival or a, um, a party of people gets going more and more in, in rolling, snowballing in indulgent behavior. Okay? Carousing, partying, um, festivals. And some of this uh, historically was where they dedicated it to some god or goddess. The idea of this Greek word, carousing. Okay? And all, each one of these go hand in hand. So this pair, carousing and the next one, letter B, drunkenness, they go hand in hand. And drunkenness, it's interesting. Kevin Quint is traveling today, but Kevin works with Northern Nevada and drug um, counseling and all that. And this word, drunkenness, is the word meth. Methe in the Greek. And so it's the idea of an intentional or habitual intoxication. Okay? And a lot of it, you know, we think immediately of alcohol and we try to tell our young people, you know, don't go drinking. Don't go... And what's the other companion of it? Don't go drinking and partying. (laughs) They go hand in hand. And the point is, is that it's something that, you know, it's... It can be, it's obviously with alcohol. But there are a number of other vices that start popping up like weeds that associate with this understanding of what you get intoxicated with. And scripture is full of passages that warn us against too much wine, too much drink. Okay? And, and thus we say, you know what? It's foolish and it's out of the will of God, out of the will of God to be drunk. And most of us look at it and think, well, you know, I'm not a drunk. I don't go there. But let's, let's expand our thinking to other areas. Are, are there other things that you get intoxicated with? And I think we all have to say, yeah, I end up getting intoxicated with other things. Noreen and I went to pick up Sarah yesterday at at the airport. And before we went there, we stopped by the the mall um, and uh, Meadowood Mall. And we had to get a, a gift for someone. But I entered in and right away hit with Christmas. Boom. There it is. And boy, does Macy's have a deal for you. Or Sears, guys. Ooh, I went to see the tools. All sorts. But you know what? If we're not careful, we get intoxicated with going after stuff. And young families, before they know it, the credit card is maxed out. Okay? And so... We've got to think not just alcohol, not just extra excessive drinking and, and the partying. We've got to think, you know, am I, am I caught up with other stuff in my life that has me, that has, has caused 
intoxication in my life. And so we have to remember, you know what? Don't be going there. What does God want from us? He wants us to be self-control. There's there's a need for self-control here. There's all sorts of pleasures in life. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, about it, it talks about the pleasures of sin for what? A season, a time, a period. They are pleasurable. And you and I know it. But that doesn't make them good, sound, and safe. No, that makes it all the more dangerous. Because if you get caught up in these pleasures, you know, you know what happens. You are a slave to those things. And what does Romans 6 tell us? Are you a slave to those things or are you a slave to the risen Savior? And so, Christian, we need to grow in this. We need to to shift over to say, no, I, I am no longer a slave to that stuff because I've been bought with a price. And I need to glorify God in my body, not in just my mind where I think about it, but in my body where I make choices, choices for godliness. And I watch out and I keep away from things that are going to cause me to fall in Satan's ploy. Let me read something to you from A.W. Tozer. He tells us this, A.W. Tozer, in his book, That Incredible Christian. He says, the devil's, listen, the devil's master strategy for us Christians then is not to kill us physically. He does, he's not in necessarily killing you physically. He goes on to say, um, but he wants to destroy our power to wage spiritual warfare and how well he has succeeded. The average, Christian's, the average Christian these days is a harmless enough thing. God knows. The average Christian is a, like a child wearing the harness of a warrior. The average Christian is like a sick little eaglet that, can't, that can never mount up with wings and fly. The average Christian is like a spent pilgrim who has given up the journey and sits with a waxy smile trying to get what pleasure he can from, this, from sniffing the wilted flowers he has plucked by the way, demonstrating he's not pressing on on the path, on the journey that the pilgrim is supposed to go on. I realize, you know, we all struggle, we all stumble, but my friend... As a Christian, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to keep pressing on to maturity in these things. Recognizing the strategies of Satan. It might be in a special circumstance he would want to take the life of someone, but God's the sovereign one. The thing that Satan wants to do is just cause there to be a muddy, cloudy testimony of faith in Christ. And how does it happen? We get involved in the deeds of darkness way too much. The activities of darkness. And in this case, intoxicating pleasures. They are. They're pleasures, but it's intoxicating. And we've got to be on the lookout. If you're taking notes, Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Luke 21, verse 34. I want to read that to you. 
These are Jesus' words, Luke 21, 34. And he says, be on your guard. Be on your guard. That your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. Gee, why are those things together? The worries of life get thrown in there. And thus, he's also mentioning drunkenness. You know, we know it. People want to just forget their sorrows and, and get, you know, get drunk, get blasted, get high on marijuana, get whatever, because they can't handle the pressures of life. And so the pleasures keep coming at us. The pleasures keep getting thrown at you through the media, through, you know, the computer, the internet, all that. Also, it's everywhere. You can't turn hardly and find, here's more pleasures for you. Come on. Don't you want it? I tell you, whoever's the the Budweiser advertisement guy, what a deal Budweiser has made, right? They've got some, you know, wonderful advertising gurus. um, Along with many other advertising, you know, chiefs with the products that are being put forth. And all the while, we keep listening. We keep, oh, getting distracted by them. And I need this. And I need that. (laughs) And the very thing that God has provided, we're ignoring in the risen Christ and and the the gifts and the blessings that He's provided through, through Jesus and His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And thus, Christian, we are called by God to grow in those things Um, Galatians 5.21 refers to drunkenness as one of the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of darkness. So, what it boils down to in point number one here is if you live... You're you're living. Here you are. are, If you live, you're, you're making choices. You make choices. Parents, you need to help your children understand the choices that they make. Help them to understand this. Everything comes back down to here's choices. But life, you know, what it boils down to here is that if you live to be self-indulgent, you'll continue to lose out on, listen, on the opportunity of this context in Romans 13. And what is that? To love the way God would have you to love. You miss out on the opportunity. I miss out on the opportunity to love the way that God would have you to love. Okay? And there, there is the opportunity for eternity. Because loving the way God would have us to love, as this context is saying, would demonstrate God's power and God's work in our lives. Okay? So I want to encourage you in that way. Number one, intoxicating pleasures. Watch out. Beware. Number two, on the back of your outline, inflaming pleasures. Inflaming pleasures. And we go on to this next section in Romans 13, where it says, not in carousing and drunkenness. Second one now, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. All right, here we go. It's everywhere. Just like I said with the products that are being pushed, the whole thing with sex 
and lustful pleasures are everywhere. All over the place. And it really, I debated on the word to use here, it really doesn't start as an inflaming pleasure. It starts as an infatuating pleasure. It's infatuation. That especially, and it's not just limited to our young people, but it's out there for everyone. But we are concerned for our young people because of it being such a pivotal time in their lives. Here they are. And little Johnny gets attracted to little Susie. And, you know, it's like the way we're taught is, oh, isn't that neat? Isn't that so good? And it doesn't matter how they go about connecting with one another. And yet the Bible gives us warnings about it and instruction about how little Johnny and Susie ought to get together. But we take the world's way and say, oh, isn't that neat? Well, it might be. But let's face it. All of you know, all of you know as adults, you know the propensity for sexual involvement and sexual pleasures. And these words, we need to look at the first one, is sexual promiscuity. Okay? Now, it might be that some of you have a King James version of the Bible, and you go, what in the world is chambering? Chambering? Well, it deals with the word in the Greek language. The word in the Greek language, simply enough, is bed. B-E-D. Bed. Laying down. And in this context, it's talking about the forbidden bed. Okay? The forbidden bed. Sexual promiscuity. And what it's really implying then, we can connect these without, you know, uh, crossing over some interpretational uh, boundary. We can add these two. Adultery and fornication. Okay? Now, a lot of times those words don't get thrown around a lot because we, we don't want to talk so much about that. <laughs> but adultery and fornication. You need to understand, um, young people, if you're here and you know, listening to this, you need to understand, fornication is sex outside of marriage. That's what fornication is. Sex outside of marriage. Adultery is when one or both have a marriage partner, but thus there's sexual activity there. Okay? Now, the whole thing with sexual activity, it doesn't start like it might in Hollywood where they meet eyes and they go flinging off their clothes and jump in bed. But it starts in subtle ways. Okay? And again, we understand how it can get started. And so, how do we deal with this with ourselves and our young people? Well, it deals with putting into action, putting into practice the truths in the Bible. Understanding that the more you leave yourself open for infatuation, infatuation is is not really love. Infatuation is more, oh, here's the, the potential for a fling, a fun time. 
and she's willing, I'm willing. I think, and, you know, and starts thinking, I think I'm in love. And it's not love. It's infatuation. And so, whether you're young and learning about it and growing into an adult, or whether you've been around for a while, the more we leave ourselves open for infatuation and inflaming pleasures, the more miserable you will be if you're a child of God. Do you understand that? If you're a child of God, the more you, listen, make provision for these things, Romans 13, verse 14, the more you make provision for them and have forethought of them, the more you will end up having a life that you're going to have regrets. You're going to have regrets. Here's the thing. How do we, how do we handle this? Because we know that it all starts in the mind. The more you think about it, the more you start going in that direction. And so your mind has to be filled with, here's the Word of God. I need the Word of God in my life. Thy Word have I hid or treasured in my heart that I might not sin against Thee, O God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to I follow His lead. And young people, you follow His lead. You make choices that will honor Him. You will be blessed in that. So, young men and old men, treat your gal as a gem. Remember, as Christian men, if especially young men, if you say, I'm a Christian, okay? You know, a lot of people say, well, you go out with a girl, you remember who that father is, that father of that girl. Uh, or you remember the potential partner of that girl. It might not be you. It might be someone else. No. Here, we, we wipe out that thinking and think this. If you're a Christian, who is your father? Who is your father in heaven? Because you know what? Psalm 121 says, guess what? Your father in heaven neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's always awake. Wow. Yeah. Here's the fear of the Lord. If you will demonstrate and develop the fear of the Lord in your life, God's going to bless. And, you know, just so many things that come in in this way. Honor the Lord in your youth, okay? Honor the Lord in your youth. Learn quickly to fear Him and learn quickly to make choices that please Him because He does see. There's an example of it. Uh, a counselor is talking to a young college-age couple. They're not married, but they got caught in sexual sin. And the guy responded by saying, well, what's the big deal is no one saw us. No one saw us. And the counselor returned back and said, yes, someone did see you. Someone was watching you. And they're like shocked, look. And he said, God is watching. How come we don't think that first? We always think like, oh, well, you know, it's okay. I mean, and we don't, we, we have problems dealing with it, counseling in them, counseling the, the young people. But we need to put this forth first, parents and grandparents, okay? Let's 
raise them up and help them and encourage them and point them to the fear of the Lord and making wise choices in their life. Okay? So young men, remember, your father is watching. Young women, Christian women, maintain the priority of true inner beauty, the beauty that shows who reigns in your heart. Okay? It's the reflection of the love of God in your heart. And learn to tell, you know, excited boys or young men, hey, don't even, don't even think about that. Don't even go there. And demonstrate, here's the love of God in your life to show here's a security in your life. That's very critical because young girls are so swept away with the security, so to speak, of the love of a young man. So I want to encourage all of us about this issue of God's love for us, that that's what secures us and helps us stay, stay on track with Him. Okay? So, let me just say... The, the idea of sensuality, letter B, under number two, letter B is the word for unbridled lust. It's excess. The King James Version says the word lasciviousness, and that's simply excess. It's, it's in regards to sensual lusts. And please, both young men and young ladies, please dress with that understanding. Dress yourselves in a godly God-honoring way. Okay? All right. Number three. Point number three is inciting pleasures. And we look at this passage. Look at verse 13. It's saying, here's, you know, don't be involved, not in carousing, not in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, not in sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. How does that relate? It's difficult to you know, put this together and understand it. But it's the idea, because we don't, we don't typically categorize this pair with the others. This pair seems more acceptable. Strife and jealousy. Oh, you know, we, we won't call that out, but we will call out, oh, sexual promiscuity, drunkenness. Oh, ooh, terrible. Strife and jealousy. Why don't we call that what it is? It's in this category. Okay? Strife is the idea of quarreling, disputes, a struggle for superiority. Um, in the Sunday school class, it was mentioned uh, uh, in Tim's Sunday school class, Shepherding a Child's Heart, the, the verse from James chapter 4 popped up. Okay? James, write it down. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Okay? It's the source of our problems. Here's strife and quarreling. Here's jealousy. It's what's driving things. Okay, strife. So strife is the idea of quarreling and disputes. And jealousy is simply that word for zeal in a bad sense. Envy. Think, picture this, the, the jealousy of King Saul towards David. That's the idea there. So it's kind of an odd pleasure, this last one, number three. But it's one that's driven by an untamed ego. It's really driven by an untamed ego. Uh, sense of pride in your life. I'm going to get my way. And you watch me. I'll, I'll tell this person off. And you, you see how I do it. <laughs> and that's, that's 
it makes you feel like you're a conqueror or something because you put that person down. And all it does is, is create more and more strife, more and more jealousy, quarreling, bickering, and bitterness is behind it. We want to get our way, and I'll show that person. So, these are the three pairs of vices. And we gotta, we got to call them what they are. If any of you are saying, boy, I'm caught up in this, you admit to it that you are caught up in one of these things. You need to confess it to God and have more input of the Word of God in your life than other kinds of input. Okay? We can find pleasure in TV viewing. But is it, you know, being balanced out? You know, there's too much pleasure in those kind of things. We need to have finding pleasure in the one person, Jesus Christ. That's what it winds up with here in verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So we've said this little message here is living in light of his return. Which also then means standing and walking in the light or turning from and forsaking the darkness, the deeds of darkness, and identifying what they are. Don't just kind of make it a general statement. Identify what the deeds of darkness are for you and your children. And help them to say, these choices will honor the Lord in your life. These will be wise choices. So keep going in that direction. So, conclusion little blank there at the bottom of the outline. Ready for the day. That's the idea here. Are you ready for the day? The day of His return. And, and if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are totally in darkness. You need to repent of sin and come out of darkness by exercising faith in what Jesus Christ did already. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ Do you know? And it's just like getting back to the theme of a wedding. Okay? Um, Sam and Kim got all dressed up. And all their wedding party, they got all dressed up. And if, you know, if they were seeing somebody stepping up to the wedding party that they weren't dressed in the right clothes, they'd go, what do you think you're doing? You're not in the right wedding clothes, right? And that's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 22. Matthew 22. He talks about the guy that showed up to the wedding feast, didn't have wedding clothes on. And all that is getting at, my friend, is this. There's a picture that starts in Genesis chapter 3, where God provided clothing for the naked Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were naked, and and they knew it now, and they felt what? They felt ashamed. Can you imagine going out in your day and realizing you forgot to dress? Yeah, right. You would never do that. And yet all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, because of their sin, they felt ashamed. So what did they do? They clothed themselves, emphasis on themselves. And God looked at them and said, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. You're going to get clothes from me. Divine intervention on clothes given to the ashamed couple. 
And some of you spiritually are walking around not only in darkness, but you're walking around with your own clothes on and your own righteousness, and it's not going to work with God. You need to make sure that you're dressed in righteousness. If you're not sure, you need to make that sure because you don't know if you're going to make it through this week. You don't know that. So, make sure that you are dressed in righteousness. In the robes of righteousness. And all that means is putting on Christ. Have you admitted to your sin? Christ suffered and bled and died for you so that you might be robed in righteousness. And the father that had the prodigal son said, Hey, bring out the robe for him. Bring out the best one and clothe him. That's what God did for you, my friend. And in Revelation, it talks about it. Those who were there before the throne were dressed in robes of, that were washed in the blood of the Lamb. And see, there's the beauty of, of Genesis 3. God provided, what? Skins for, the Adam, for Adam and Eve. Blood was shed in a, in a way, uh, showing a typology here, showing a type of Christ who is yet to come. Blood was shed for their sins. And that was not perfect, but it was perfect upon when Christ came. And he died. His blood was shed so that you, in believing and what he did, would be clothed in righteousness. Are you clothed in righteousness? Are you depending on Jesus Christ alone? Again, there's no guarantee that you have tomorrow. Please, make things right. With Jesus Christ, who is the only way, the only mediator between God and man. And He is the righteous one. You need to bow before Him in faith. And so, we need, as Christians now, we need to be continually, daily, regularly putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision. Let's not make any plans for it. No allowances. Ask God to help you draw near to another Christian friend and say, let's help keep each other accountable in this way. Due to the drunkenness and the carousing problems, due to the sexual promiscuity and sensuality, I need help. Men, we brought it up in the past. If you're having a problem with with, uh, all the, the sexual pressure there on the internet or, or on TV. Stop what you're doing then. Get help. Don't allow it to go on anymore. Ask God for His help and then humble yourself and ask another brother for His help in this. Let's live in light of His return. This is the passage that we're dealing with. Live in light of His return.